Welcome back to episode five of our female-specific nutrition series. Uh, Last week we said that we were going to talk this week about performance, but Amy and I have had a conversation since then and we've decided that this episode is going to be all about preconceptive nutrition. So not only for females is preconceptive nutrition really important when you are thinking about having a baby, but because I guess pregnancy nutrition is a whole nother thing in itself as well. But for males, it is also really important because, you know, they are half of the the deal here. And oftentimes, you know, if something's not going right or it's taking a little bit more time to fall pregnant, we often blame the woman. However, we do need to look at some things Uh, with men, which we'll discuss and go over as well. So it's really kind of prevalent right now that um, we've seen a few things on Instagram of like pre, uh, sorry, um, training uh, nutrition for women. I'm getting all confused right now. (laughs) Female specific nutrition isn't a thing. And so here is our fifth example of why it actually is a thing and why we need to learn about it. So welcome back to the show, Amy Needham. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, so tell us first up, like why is preconceptive nutrition important for women? Like we, we know that training and and eating during pregnancy is really important for, you know, making sure that both mum and bub stay healthy. But why is preconceptive nutrition really important? I think the thing I'd want to pre-frame here as well is that we seem to think preconceptive care is uh, different, right? So being in a healthy state of reproductive fertility is not important if you want to conceive a child, but it's also important if you want to be healthy because ultimately like physiologically, you are designed to procreate. So what is needed for someone who is preconception care is also needed for every female to have strong bone health, to have like a, you know, a really good micronutrient uh, makeup. You know, it's not that it's specific to females. It just becomes a little bit more important because you are going to create a life. And that preconception care phase ideally would be at least a year. So it's not that I'm going to decide to eat healthy for a month and then decide to get pregnant, it's that I probably should have been thinking about that long in advance. And the reason it's so important to, for every female, whether they're deciding to have a child or not, is sometimes when females are pregnant, they're actually not aware until they already are, say, you know, 12 weeks down the line. So having this information early and even just incorporating it, even if you're not planning to have a child yet, you're setting yourself up to be in a healthier state to do so or to be in a healthier state physiologically as you should be. Yeah, amazing. And so, like, it just makes sense, right? Like, if we have a healthy menstrual cycle, it means we are able to procreate. Mm-hmm. So having a healthy menstrual cycle and all the things that we've kind of spoken about, you know, previously as well, and going into performance when we do talk about performance, which, you know, goes kind of hand in hand with what we're talking about. Like, they're not really separate. Mm-hmm. Like, being healthy nutritionally, just at any stage of life is you know probably number one priority yeah yeah of course um and it does extend like I don't think there's enough information even I guess during uh my lectures and things I go through the women who are pregnant no doctor really speaks to them about their nutrition preconception care um during pregnancy and especially for the males as well so um yeah you can pass on some of the information I'm about to say to to men as well but they do make up you know 40 percent of the health as well so 
it's it's not just all on the female, but it's also no one is really spreading this information to kind of prepare women and men to create the healthiest child possible. And knowing that what you eat, either during your pregnancy or prior, is going to make that child. So you're your own machine and the micronutrient deficiencies you have, the child is going to have. The, um, actually, even worse, like you're going to get greater. So your child will always take from you what it needs. You're going to be the one who ends up worse off. Um, but you are pre-programming. So even in preconception care, even during pregnancy, you can program a child to be obese. You can program a child to have gestation or to have uh, blood sugar management issues and diabetes. So it's not that it's, it's actually like the fact a healthy child is even born is beyond me because of the amount of, I guess, uh, Western kind of food that we're eating, um, the agriculture, the loss of micronutrients, our soil quality and everything else as well. Like the fact that a healthy child, can, like the body is amazing, obviously. Um, and the fact that this information isn't readily available. And even when I was speaking uh, to one of my lecturers, I was asked if there was a fact sheet or somewhere I could direct clients or you know, just a whole summary. And she's like, no, uh, but you could probably do that. Um, and I think that's kind of where this idea came to be a part of the course is there is no resource. There is no resource for men to go, cool. I know these micronutrients are important for me, for my sperm motility, the health of my child, and even the health of men themselves. Um, and then none for a female either, let alone um, readily available or given to them at their doctor's. They're obviously going to do your scans. They're obviously going to suggest prenatal supplements, but that doesn't, the biggest makeup of you is actually your nutrition. A hundred percent. So let's talk about those prenatal supplements for a sec. Like what exactly are they made up of and what is it that we need extra of when we are thinking about getting pregnant? I think the main one people look at is folic acid. So prevent um, spina bifida and any other kind of neural tube defects, but when they've done it in studies, it actually works better in conjunction with other micronutrients. So um, making sure there's, you know, vitamin A, D, E, obviously your folate, B12, B6, vitamin C, iron, zinc, iodine, copper, and selenium. So um, <laughs> you got to remember the body doesn't work in isolation. So even having taken a folate supplement, it doesn't work as well versus taking it in conjunction with everything else. And knowing that most people are generally micronutrient deficient because we are overfed but undernourished. Um, you can take a supplement and it definitely helps. And I still would have clients take a supplement when they're, when they're pregnant. Um, and again, as they're trying, or even in that one year prior, um, but it still has to go hand in hand with your nutrition. Okay. And so there are a lot of micronutrients listed there. What are some foods and like, maybe even as well, give us an idea of like how much food is needed for some of like to reach our requirements, because, you know, like you said, Soil quality, food quality has gone down. So like sometimes you might need to eat, you know, enormous amounts of some sort of food or like a variety of foods to even get the amounts that you need. Like let's take magnesium, for example. Like sometimes it's not, um, you know, it isn't, I guess, viable for us to eat as much food as what would meet our required needs of those things. Mm. Um, I should probably add there as well, uh, even though vitamin A is listed there, that's actually one of the ones you don't want to go too high. And this is probably something which isn't verbalized to uh, a lot of pregnant women is that, yes, you can have the lower dose, but when you go to those higher doses, you're actually damaging or potentially damage your child, creating more risk of miscarriage. So, um, for example, you wouldn't want to have beef liver. Like we know that 
as a micronutrient source, an organ meat is is really good. But when you're trying for a child or you have uh, vitamin A toxicity, mostly from if it was a supplement, and I know that there's too many micronutrient supplements or vitamin supplements available, and they're like, well, you know, I know it's healthy, I should take it. Um, it is one of the things that can be actually be quite damaging. So it's not so much that... Um, yeah, we need a lot of micronutrients, but we don't need everything in excess. Um, the same as, I guess, uh, nutrient makeup of like sugars. I'm always going to go towards more whole foods because even having a higher dose of sugar can create more gestational diabetes. It can actually create more diabetes in your child. Um, obviously, depending on the palatability and the intake, it can create more obesity and preventing or creating more um, uh, preterm birth and um, issues with your child as well. So Green leafy vegetables are great and vitamin A, provided it's not beef liver in other sources is also going to be fine having um, all your grains and everything as well, but uh, your mercury level needs to be lower. So there is, uh, I think it's on safe fishing or something. I'll, I'll find the link and I'll be able to tell you what it is to tell you basically the amount of fish that you can have or seafood. So omega-3 is good, but not high doses of uh, fish that would have a higher mercury level. Um, with your zinc and things like that too, you can also look um, at like more, it's still vegetable uh, foods, but you would look to more like your beans and your um, nuts and um, any dairy products or um, cereals and things that are like fortified as well. You will get a lot from a micronutrient source or like supplement. I personally prefer from, from a makeup standpoint, I prefer Nutro Best. Um, I find that generally has a better makeup but it can make people nauseous. And this can see where we need the importance of nutrition in here, of like the frequency of our meals, how we're timing them, having things say, for example, ginger to prevent that nausea. Um, it's all these little tips and tricks and knowing that when women are pregnant, they typically don't necessarily have a big appetite. They want to eat more frequently or they frequent, sometimes feel as though they have to eat to prevent that nausea from coming up. Um, so one of my clients who is pregnant, she's like, oh, I want to eat sugar. I hate vegetables right now. I absolutely hate it. And it's now sneaking them in. So even those um, vitamin B rich and folate kind of rich foods of having those lean greasy veggies, we're having to steam them, blend them, hide them in things. Um, same as you would a child. Um, because the way that you eat during pregnancy as well programs your child's palate. So if you say, for example, one of my lecturers, she ate uh, for some reason, I don't definitely uh, suggest this. She was uh, vego during her, her pregnancy and her child is vegetarian. Um, whereas uh, during one of her others, uh, she ate uh, a lot of chocolate, I think. And then her child is a chocoholic. Um, these are only obviously some cases, but you are setting up and you're creating the palate of your child. And that also creates, as you know, like your microbiome and your body's ability to get get energy from food um it's energy extraction whether it's inefficient efficient um and what kind of like makeup of the microbiome whether they're more sugar-based of say like fervicutes and that creates more predisposition for obesity or you will find that people who are obese do have a more of a fervicute or negative bacteria kind of makeup um yeah like it, i think it's being smart and education is is powerful but only if you action it so the same as my client having to sneak vegetables into her food knowing she craves sugar uh she's having um and something sour also prevents her from feeling nauseous right so um it's giving her a i think it's called fun fun day fun day whatever is a little sour lollies that are really low in sugar um she has one a day so keeping her sugar amount 
below 50 grams, ideally on average. And that obviously includes any other sources of uh, your vegetables or your fruits that also have sugar. Um, you're trying to limit the risk that you're having, but you're trying to work it in a way which is going to be helpful and you want to sneak it in like she wants to be as healthy as possible and it's not so she's choosing not to like vegetables she's like I, I used to love vegetables I don't understand why I'm pregnant now while I don't and she's like it physically makes me want to be sick if I eat a vegetable so we have to be sneakier um mm. your zinc is probably one of the most important to be completely honest um it's for men as well like you're looking at the motility and it's just yeah it, Unfortunately, zinc is probably one of the most micronutrient poor um, in our soils and it's really hard to, to kind of get. Um, so you are looking at those whole grains and, and beans and um, things like that and obviously like your poultry and dairy products. Um, but it'd also be making having making sure the male also has that um, as well. Now, um, you can look at obviously your folic acid um, and knowing that... The other one I was going to mention is these micronutrients are great, but it also, and unfortunately, and this is, I guess, the stigmatized part is that your weight comes into it. Now, whatever way you want to slice it. And I really know that it's such a sensitive topic for women for say a doctor asked about their weight and things. Your, your BMI needs to be within a healthy range to prevent one obesity in your child, to prevent neural tube defects, but also that's more folic acid, but to prevent um, preterm birth, you know, so it is such a sensitive topic, but whether you are underweight, whether you are uh, excessively overweight, you're actually still going to create the same result in your child. That child is going to be predisposed to obesity and any other metabolic syndrome. So I know a lot of women freak out about weight gain in pregnancy. Um, and it is normal. Right? Like you are meant to gain. And especially in your second trimester, you should, you should gain a little bit more rapidly. Um, I did a post on how much the baby weighs, the, um, like any other fluid so I broke it down this is how much you should actually gain and if you're not gaining that you're equally damaging your child in the same way you would be if you were to gain weight excessively so if you started in an obese manner or you started underweight you're you're creating the same metabolic issues to your child um and I think that's probably the hard bit especially for say women who have been tracking calories or have done weight loss phases or deficits is they seem their, their identity is in their body and that can be scary to lose that identity by gaining pregnancy weight, but you're not actually losing your body. You're gaining a life, like you're creating a life. Um, so I think that's probably the other one. The amount of leptin in your system is also going to influence your HBO access or your hypothalamus pituitary and your ovarian access preconception as well. So it's being within a healthy weight, having a greater micronutrient makeup um, and, you know, the other one, the big one is low stress. Like, you know, there are a lot of miscarriages are generally with someone who is normally like highly stressed, especially in their first trimester. Um, and stress can be your food. It can be a harmful amount of um, oxidative stress that you're having. Um, it could also be psychological and you're in a workplace, which is a workplace or personal life, which is quite stressful. Um, but yeah, there's so many sensitive, I guess, facets to preconception care, pregnancy, and even um, post-baby, right? Like even your, if you have an, like your iron is still going to be low for at least six months after having a child. So it's all that testing, I guess, getting done, um, knowing what to look for, getting your blood tests, knowing what to eat, um, and mainly managing your stress. 
Yeah, wow, that was huge. There is so much to unpack there. Like the first thing is just how context dependent it really is, right? Like you were talking about certain micronutrients that we do need, but then also not going to the other extent and, and you know, creating toxicity from having too much. But then also the fact that women, some women just don't feel like eating some of the things that they actually need to eat. Like maybe mm. they don't want to look at an egg or maybe they just want to dry reach at the thought of eating steak or vegetables like your client in particular. So it is mm. really, really tricky to navigate because like, you know, you were talking about gestational diabetes as well and being in a healthy, a healthy, you know, weight range, but also like the fact that even your training, like even exercising and being healthy and active, you know, that is also going to play into your, like minimizing the risk of you developing gestational diabetes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it is so important. And then, you know, even breastfeeding, like even talking about breastfeeding, like we've talking about the micronutrients as well, but also mm-hmm. your macronutrients and also like how many calories you're eating overall, because you do have different energy requirements during pregnancy too. Like not necessarily in the first trimester, but maybe in the second and the third, mm-hmm. your energy requirements are going to go up because a whole different range of reasons, right? Like your baby's going to be taking a lot of energy from you as well to to create life, like to develop into a human being. And so, yeah, I guess I, I did have a question of like the big one, the big question that everybody wants to know is what, uh, what do, I guess does the research say on like coffee during pregnancy, so caffeine, and then also alcohol, the two big ones. Yeah, so... Um, this is such an interesting study. So there's limited data on caffeine, but the studies we have seen, anything greater than, say, 500 milligrams, which would be, say, you know, a monster and a half, um, can increase the odds of uh, sub... I'm going to have to say this correctly, but sub-fecundity. Uh, so your time to pregnancy being longer than, you know, seven, eight, nine, or, or 12 months. So that, that ability to get pregnant. Um, you could also look at that from a neurological perspective of being, it is something that will create a little bit more stress in your body, right? Like a little bit more adrenaline. Um, with uh, that uh, subfecundity, so that ability to get pregnant taking longer, it's say that accounts for, um, say, I think it's around, I can't remember what the total amount is, but smokers have a 56% greater amount and I think for high amounts of caffeine I think they've seen it as maybe 38% maybe in alcohol I'll have to double check the stats exactly on those um, but it can be potentially hazardous caffeine may not directly influence and it's obviously the inconclusive evidence at the moment um, but what you need to know I guess from a caffeine standpoint is that it can inhibit the absorption of some macronutrients. So things like iron and zinc, which we know are obviously going to be extremely important in pregnancy as well, for both the mother and the child. Um, but it can also increase the losses of other macronutrients such as calcium and thiamine. So again, our B vitamins and also our calcium, which is needed for bone health and everything else as well. So it's not a direct role, but if you have a choice between preventing um, an impact and, and not, and obviously knowing that women are different how we metabolize caffeine is different in different people as well so it would be um i think they've basically changed it now so if you can have like say one shot essentially which i think is say 
45 milligrams in a day, you're, you're reducing the impact. But when it comes to alcohol, when they've studied a, a low dose of alcohol does increase the shorter time to conception. But I think that's more so the lower dose is more coming from something like wine. And, and uh, the other thing is to keep in mind is that that wine is normally associated with more like Mediterranean diet, which might be more micronutrient rich. It's not exactly binge drinking um, or creating, I guess, an unhealthy environment in, in that case. So alcohol is definitely a strong no. Um, there, there is no safe one now, to be completely honest. You're putting a, a toxin essentially into your body and expecting nothing to happen so mm. caffeine is you know a little here and there and also it depends I guess how often you were drinking that before so um I would say one coffee a day is is fine if someone wanted to you know generally keep it in um or they could swatch to something like green tea which has a lower dose of caffeine and obviously a high antioxidant now reactive oxidative stress is also the thing that can, can damage so you're looking at the side effects of like, I could be having something say like green tea with a high antioxidant preventing oxidative stress, or it could be having caffeine, which is maybe creating, sorry, coffee, which is maybe creating more micronutrient deficiencies, which my child needs. So I wouldn't look at it necessarily as a black and white, like alcohol. Yeah. I'd say no. Uh, whereas yeah. more for like <laughs> yeah, coffee, nah. it's yeah, nah, <laughs> um, <laughs> close, but nah. Um, you know, like it is, it is still debatable, but it's also, I think, because they can't find a direct link, whether it's going to be um, a dose amount or whether it's going to be um, like a knock-on effect rather than a direct cause. Um, so I think it's more so giving the information of studies what can be found, especially in that group, which is, say, greater than 500 milligrams per day, which I really hope somebody's not doing if they are trying to get pregnant or they are pregnant. Um, that is an excessive amount. So caffeine has kind of been ruled it's in a gray area. It's more so dose specific. Um, and it's also what you choose to do as a, as a pregnant woman or someone trying to conceive or someone as a coach who has pregnant, pregnant ladies as well. Yeah. And if you guys notice a difference in my voice right now, my headphones just died. So now I've got my, my earphones in. So if there's a, a difference there, that's why. Um, but as well, like going back to alcohol too, and you were talking about miscarriages, like, miscarriages are very common in women in the early stages of pregnancy that's why women don't usually announce their pregnancies until around the 12 week mark when they're you know a little bit out of the you know the the unsure stage so uh and it's also something that people don't really talk about either it's really quite taboo and you know being a coach as well women will probably tell you and they will likely tell you earlier than the 12 weeks so it's also really important as a coach to be wary of that and to also respect how women are feeling and mm -hmm. uh you know if they are suffering a miscarriage as well you know because it's not really spoken about it can be really tricky to navigate emotionally because it's like do I just not speak about this like is this the am I the only person this has happened to um, and also like, because there isn't really like a physical baby, like it's not a stillbirth or anything like that. It's also like, but how do you, how do you go about celebrating that life? Because, you know, even though it's very early on, there's still that emotional connection as well. There still has been that fetus, 
uh, inside. And so a lot of the miscarriages can happen because number one, you just don't know you're pregnant yet and you still continue on with your lifestyle. So if you are thinking about getting pregnant um, or maybe if you're not even being safe about it, if you're kind of just like, oh, you know, if it happens, it happens, still know that you still want to be healthy during that phase. Like if there's any chance Mm. that you're going to get pregnant, that you are doing it healthy, healthily and, um, and yes, avoiding alcohol, like you said, because that could be one reason why potentially you may lose, lose the child or lose the baby or lose the fetus. Mm. And like basically even in small amounts of alcohol, you are seeing an increased odds of miscarriage of at least 19%. So like that's a decent amount and that's why I say your preconception care starts at least one year before your child. Like it's not that you just stop quickly, like you're programming in the makeup of your body as our cells start to regenerate and create new cells and create a new body essentially. You know, that care needs to be well in advance, which is why essentially if a female ever wants to have a child or even if she doesn't, to be in a healthy state, the food I'm saying for preconception care and the, the, the lowering of the stress and everything else as well, that's life that's not that you're just trying for a child it's like you want to continually be in that healthier state um I think as well as that like with the miscarriage part as well as like I not every miscarriage is traumatic and not every miscarriage is uh un, oh, I shouldn't say that it's more abortion um I think what I would say is that like don't think you know what someone is feeling around a miscarriage it could be relief because they weren't prepared it could be that they are extremely unhappy because they've been trying for so long. Um, it could be guilt. It could be, um, honestly, it could be any number. And don't assume you know what someone is feeling around that time, but you just need to be, I guess, more supportive in that. And my recommendation would be is if a female has had a miscarriage, is don't try again straight away. If your body potentially, and there's so many different reasons for miscarriage. I'm not saying it's just nutrition-based. But if you can put yourself into a healthier state for a year before you even try again like you're reducing your chances of another miscarriage as well yeah it's so important and something that's definitely not spoken about enough either um you were saying earlier as well I just want to go back to it iron deficiency in the first six months postpartum what do we do about that um it's getting blood zones well obviously you would need to have iron-rich sources, but know that the child will always take from you. So if, uh, if a child, say, is anemic, the mother was anemic too. Um, so you're having to kind of rebuild that as well. Um, iron-rich sources will obviously help. You can also do an iron supplement. A lot of the prenatals actually have iron in it, um, but you would yeah, you would just have to eat iron-rich sources, double-check your levels, um, and it is like you have to keep an eye on because that is your neural functioning as well, right? Like that is your fatigue level. Um, that is your ability to be awakened. Like, you know, you don't want a doctor or anyone else putting it down to, oh, that's just, you're just a mum, you know? Like you're meant to be tired. You're meant to be fatigued. Like you also need to ask the questions and look further. Um, so, yeah, I would just say iron-rich sources of food. You can look at your whole grains, everything else as well. You can look at your, your meats and everything. Um, but, yeah, when you are breastfeeding, you are obviously your child is still going to get the most amount of macronutrients from you and you are going to be second best in that. And even brain fog um, in, well, I should say brain fog, baby brain, whatever you want to call it, is still going to occur until you're done um, your breastfeeding as well. But it can last anywhere six to Eye deficiency in a mother can last anywhere from six to 12 months after giving birth. 
Yeah, wow. And that also reminds me of something that, you know, I've read previously as well. When you are breastfeeding, you know, <laughs> dieting when you're breastfeeding, probably not ideal either. You do actually have high energetic requirements. That's why they call breastfeeding like the fourth trimester because mm. your energetic requirements are probably similar to your third trimester of pregnancy. And also when you are breastfeeding as well, your most nutritionally dense milk is actually at the front of your breast. Uh, sorry, at the back, whereas the most hydrating breast milk is at the front. So when you're breastfeeding, don't go and empty one breast half and then go on to the other half because then the baby's getting a lot of hydration but not enough nutrition. So empty mm. one breast first and then move on to the next. Mm, you even taught me something, man. That's good. Mm. I was just thinking about my boobs while you're telling me that. So that's good. Um, Teamwork. Yeah. Teamwork makes the dream work. That's fine. Um, yeah, like I think there's so many reasons to look at someone's nutrition and their blood work as well and ask questions. Because um, there's other things to keep in mind. Is like, yeah, iron deficiency and someone, say, was um, anemic, you need to support that. Or otherwise, say they have iron overload gene and um, hemochromatosis. Like they're, they don't need the iron foods. Like they're the opposite of the people you kind of want to give that to. They have such high sources or stores of it. Like you also don't want any oxidative damage from having too much iron as well. So, um, yeah, there's, there's so much to keep in mind. I think zinc deficiency is definitely the single most in, well, zinc is the single most important nutrient for um, pregnant women. Like it is the neural programming of your child. Um, and it does help with obviously connective tissue. Um, it also helps, which I think people may not be aware of. It helps with more like, stretch marks and cracked nipples and um, preventing like a prolonged labor. So, um, you know, if that's something you're wanting to avoid, well, hopefully then you would want to make sure you're getting enough zinc in there as well. Um, it's also going to help with, I guess, preventing fetal growth retardation or any congenital malformation um, and preventing like postnatal depression as well. So like our, our neural makeup of our brain is also supported by our zinc levels. Um, but yeah, it is also required from a preconception standpoint for uh, reproduction and or, uh, ovulation. Yeah, that's huge. And then, yeah, you know, talking about postnatal depression as well, you can also have prenatal depression. Like your mm. hormones are going crazy during that time. Like your estrogen, your progesterone is just like shooting up. So, you know, there are a lot of things going on within a woman, um, not just physically, definitely physically, but also psychologically uh, during this, this time of life, whether it's like, you know, even leading up to conception, like that can be very, very stressful on women who are desperate to have a child and, and maybe struggling for a bit. Like, you know, this is going back to sex ed where we were taught we can get pregnant at any day of the cycle. Oh, God. It is you look at a man, you get pregnant. Okay. Sometimes it's not that easy, right? So, you know, most there times, are, most times it's not that easy. Yeah, there are so many considerations to take into account, like physic physically, psychologically, just overall health through all different phases of a woman's life. And this is why it's important to be educated on these different things, like, you know, not just like you need this micronutrient, you need this much calories and this many macros, whatever. It's also, you know, as a coach, she's coming to you, she's trusting you with this as well um, and you wanting to do the best job that you possibly can as a coach to help keep your clients healthy. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, like, refer on if you need to as well, but as we know, like, the medical system is quite... Um, 
yeah, it's, it's, it's got under a lot of load right now. So you're trying to do your best in that way. Now, putting someone on a restrictive diet, giving them, you know, only restricted amounts of foods or any kind of food elimination is also not going to help. Um, and also normalizing if your client comes in and they are fatigued or they're tired or they're excessively hungry and they're like, I shouldn't be this hungry. What's wrong with me? I was being so, for lack of a better word, in quotation marks, good. You know, mm. I was looking after my child and there is no guilt. Like say someone over eight, um, they were super hungry. They're over eight on, for lack of a better word, junk food or highly palatable food. That's not something to guilt a pregnant lady about. Like they are their body is not really theirs at the moment. Hormones are crazy. Their body, baby is essentially taking over. Like there is so much you need to have, uh, I guess, of empathy or compassion for somebody who is having their world and their body turned upside down. Um, and you're just trying to guide them in the best way without necessarily, you know, putting any moral value on what they're doing. Yeah, I'm. Uh, it just triggered something that I thought about. Like I know someone very close to me who, and this is going back to the miscarriage, is, She's pregnant, but it was originally twins and she lost the other baby. And it's really difficult to navigate because like, you know, on one hand, you're super happy because you're pregnant and you have a baby and you have a healthy baby. But on the other hand, there's this other one that's kind of almost been forgot about. So what do you do? Because it, it was very early on. And so like, you know, it just, it gets reabsorbed, whatever, but it's like, what do you do? Like, and like navigating, like the excitement of being pregnant and having a baby and like, you know, all the changes that you're going through, but then also like mourning this other unborn child or unborn baby or fetus, like, you know, however you want to look at it and whatever your beliefs mm-hmm. are, like it, it can be tricky. Um, so there are like so many things, and this has turned into more like a pregnancy podcast than anything. Um, but there are just so many considerations and like, you know, gaining as much knowledge and gaining as much experience as we can as, as coaches, even if you haven't been pregnant and you're not a mom, you know, you are likely going to come across a lot of women who are going to want to get pregnant or who are pregnant or who are postnatal. Like any woman who has given birth and is a mum is postnatal, you know, no matter whether, like obviously it's going to be different when they're early postnatal breastfeeding period versus like 15 years down the track. But still, mm. you know, there are going to be considerations when it comes to being healthy, maybe getting their cycle back after the finished breastfeeding um, because you don't usually have a cycle while you're still nursing your child or it takes a little bit of time to come back because you don't want to get pregnant straight away mm. or your body doesn't want to get pregnant straight away when you're still nursing a newborn um, and just knowing the considerations around that. And, you know, if you do decide to to breastfeed for a long time, I, I know women who have breastfed for like two years, two and a half years, mm. um, and staying healthy during that time while also navigating like, your aesthetics and things like that like things are going to come down like your uterus is going to shrink uh, everything's going to come back down it just takes time so you know number one dieting is not going to be you know number one priority especially when you've just had a baby even though you may want to quote unquote the bounce back yeah uh the worst term that we've probably ever heard um but it, it will take time and, you know, getting a healthy cycle back post-pregnancy, you know, I think we'll leave it for another podcast where we talk about perimenopause and postmenopause because that in mm-hmm. itself is a huge topic. 
but yeah, like through every stage of life, it, you just, number one, want to be as healthy as you can for longevity. Yeah. And I think this just comes back to the, the importance, I guess, of the female specific nutrition course is that like a, a male contributes to creating a child, but he doesn't carry a child. And, you know, their a female body is under so much stress and strain and to create essentially and give life to, to this being that it will never be the same. They will never, ever they have a menstrual cycle, even if they aren't pregnant, like their energy utilization or um, their recoverability and everything else as well, they will never, ever be the same as a male. So having something which is specific to females for various stages of their life, whether it be, um, you know, in their fertile years where they just in general need a healthy menstrual cycle, reproductive health, and they obviously need to perform well, um, whether they are thinking preconception care, whether they are pregnant, whether it's postmenopausal, um, whether they are perimenopausal um, or even other things like say they are facing amenorrhea or um, there's an issue like with either PCOS or endo like these conditions don't affect men and our energy utilization our recoverability our training performance is influenced highly by everything I've just said so giving a course specifically and I guess validating the needs that women have to have an education and understanding of what to do nutritionally, even if it's just guidance on food, even if it's a guidance on things to avoid, things to help, um, it's only going to benefit society better as well because you've got to remember every single person comes from a woman. Um, so, um, yeah, I think that just, just kind of closes the, the argument on, on why we need this course, essentially. Yeah, you are so right. Like, even if we talk about postmenopause and when you know, our female sex hormones shut down, like we don't have testosterone levels as high as men. And they, you could argue they have andropause, but it's not the same as menopause because menopause shuts it down, whereas men will still have drip feed off. Even like, you know, 50% of the testosterone that they had at their peak, even into their 90s, whereas, you know, women will be essentially zero. So Mm. (laughs) you're right, it does shut down that argument very quickly when we think about the different changes that a woman goes through through different stages of her life um, because of this, literally because of gestation, because of reproduction, procreation um, and, you know, post-pregnancy and beyond. Yeah, and even like if a male had a menstrual cycle, I'm quite sure he would have a very different feeling around this as well. yep so anyways we will wrap it up here thank you guys so much for listening and joining in again on episode five we hope you enjoyed it if you did and you found this useful i never say this but um i should probably should after every Mm -hmm. podcast please screenshot and share we appreciate your shares so much we you know, are really trying to change the conversation around women, around women's health and nutrition in the fit, the health and fitness industry globally. So any share, um, we would absolutely appreciate. We would also love to see you in the course starting September 20. So just a few short weeks away. Thank you again, Amy, for joining me. You're a wealth of knowledge. I always say that. Um, but if you have any questions about the course, you can direct them to either Amy at Coach Needham Fit or myself at Kaylee Physio um, and even AWPT underscore university as well. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.